Welcome to COVID Crisis in America podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Cathy, and today's episode is called Who Gets Event, where we will be talking to other professionals to find out the facts. We will be seeking the opinion of a physician and another healthcare professional on the topic of ventilator shortages to find out really are they choosing to save some and sacrifice the rest. Is this ethical? Do some deserve to die and some to live? What on earth is going on with COVID? According to the CDC, coronavirus, also known as COVID-19, is an illness caused by a virus that can spread from person to person. The virus that caused COVID-19 is a new coronavirus that has spread throughout the world. Transmission from the virus is spread person to person. You can become infected from respiratory droplets when a person who is infected coughs, sneezes, or talks. Transmission is even possible by touching an, an, by touching an object or surface that has the virus on it and then touching your eyes, nose, or mouth. Symptoms of the virus range from fever, cough, sore throat, nausea, and vomiting to more severe symptoms like trouble breathing, confusion, and respiratory distress resulting in the need for ventilator assistance. Now let's talk about those ventilators that we have seen highlighting recent news articles. Ventilators are a common medical device that basically helps a person breathe when they can no longer properly breathe on their own. Patients who are suffering from severe cases of COVID-19 are at a high probability that they may need a ventilator to save their life. The COVID-19 pandemic is forcing hospitals to make a decision on one of the hottest ethical ethical issues right now, having to choose who receives a ventilator and who doesn't. This depends on if there are not enough ventilators to go around. Do doctors actually take a ventilator from one patient and give to another who has a better chance to survive? Who decides this and how? To better understand some of these issues we are facing here in America, I have asked Dr. Ross McKinney Jr. to join us today. Dr. McKinney is the Chief Scientific Officer at Association of American Medical Colleges. He is an infectious disease specialist and a member of Duke University faculty. He's here and ready to answer some tough questions and to share his insight on the ethical dilemma we are seeing today. Dr. McKinney, thank you for being here today and joining me on today's episode of COVID Crisis in America. Yeah, my pleasure, Lauren. Dr. McKinney, as physicians, you are trained to do all you can for our patients, but ethical guidelines that have been developed for COVID stating that the goal is to save the most lives, even at the expense of some virus victims, if there are not enough resources. Tell me more about this. This must be a difficult topic to discuss. Well, Lauren, it is hard. Physicians have been trained to save lives. What we're experiencing now is different from anything we've ever had to confront before. Physicians have spent their entire lives and careers focused on taking care of people, giving them all the necessary tools, medications, or attention they need to get back to their full self. Anything that's necessary to get them better. But now we're facing a dilemma here where you may have to decide that a resource is better expended on a different person. That is, if there's limited resources available. Dr. McKinney, what kind of triaging are you seeing? What kind of criteria are people who won't receive a ventilator? Let's say there are around 60 people in a hospital right now that require a ventilator due to COVID, and we only have 50 ventilators total to supply. What factors play a role when deciding? Okay, so some things we've learned from other countries kind of helped us out here. 
Italy was hit hard. We've learned from Italy that they used the body mass index as one of their criteria. People with a higher BMI didn't respond well to a ventilator, therefore they didn't benefit from it. So if we had a limited number of events, a patient's weight could be a potential factor you would use. I understand. Okay, so I've read news articles that say age might be the most sensitive issue of all. Why is this? Well, there's two answers that age might be a factor. First one is just the medical, that we know that people who are older tend to get sicker with COVID-19, and the probability of any intervention being successful obviously comes, uh, becomes lower the older somebody is. So for people who are over the age of 80, let's say the mortality with the disease is over 15%. In their 70s, it's around 10%. So given that we know that mortality goes up, it's a factor that's worth considering in whether to offer an intervention. If somebody is otherwise, however, equally likely to have therapeutic success, then the question of age becomes one of fairness. And you might consider that you would give the younger individual the ventilator. If there's only one available, you might give it to the younger person because they've had less chance to have a full life. And it's a reason, a particularly good reason, to offer the ventilator to a younger person here in this situation. I think it's also important to note here that various health issues in individuals play a role as well. Individuals who have core morbidities, diagnoses like renal failure, heart failure, diabetes, hypertension, lung, or respiratory problems, these individuals are predisposed and are also seen to carry risks in a normal setting. To throw COVID on top of this, these individuals are seen as a greater risk than compared to healthy individuals. There is also a scoring guide, not often mentioned, called the Sequential Organ Failure Assessment, which scores individuals based on whether or not they can make it to just a year from now. Going back to shortage of ventilators, Dr. McKinney, we have heard about potential shortage of ventilators, especially in so-called hot spot areas. In a situation where one would have to remove a ventilator and give to someone else whose situation is more dire, Most individuals have a hard time grasping this reality. Why is that? Well, physicians find it hard to do harm. We're trained in the very beginning and drilled that physicians do no harm. We're more willing to indirectly harm than directly harm. Removing somebody from a ventilator is not only creating harm to that individual, and we find it a lot easier to do something indirectly passive than to do a direct action like removing that ventilator. The idea of removing one's ventilator will ultimately be because the one using it is no longer benefiting from it anymore can only hope that we're never in a situation where two people who have the same exact equal possibilities of being helped and there's only one ventilator to use. Wow, yeah, that would be a very difficult situation for not only the physician, but it would be extremely emotional for the nurses, social workers, and family members of the patient. Speaking of social workers, next we have another special person joining us who is a social worker, and we will get, we will get her thoughts and viewpoints of the COVID crisis in just a moment. Dr. McKinney, thank you for again speaking with me. Any last thoughts or comments? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's glad to be here. Um, I want to leave you with this. I think the distress that we were just talking about, real inner moral distress and moral injury from the fact that the patients for whom you're trying to accomplish the best may not be able to receive that. I think also the public acceptance and understanding of this, pretty much every system agrees that something must be done, that it's not ethical to just say, hey, we're just going to take first come, first serve. And when we're filled, that's too bad, no matter the prognosis of the individual uh, who's on the current life support system, and no matter how young and deserving that person might be. We're just going to come with the first come, first serve. I don't think most systems think that's an ethical approach. And yet any other approach is very difficult for the public to even understand. So now we're going to turn our attention over to a social worker. 
Headlines and news coverage has covered so many physicians and nurses and respiratory therapists and social workers have just been missed. Social workers make a huge difference to the lives of Americans every single day. During the COVID-19 pandemic, it's only fair to say that social work has become increasingly stressful, and I can only imagine some of the difficulties social workers are facing today. I'd like to welcome Sandra Hunley to the show. Sandra is a social worker currently employed in one of the biggest hotspots in recent news, New York City. Sandra, welcome to COVID Crisis in America. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Lauren. Sandra, New York was and may still be seeing the brute of this virus. New York has one of the biggest populations in America. Just how has the pandemic affected you and your colleagues? Very good. So in my opinion, this virus is here and it's here to stay. We are going to be affected by this monster for some time. I think the old way of life is gone and this is our new normal. COVID has taken so much from me, but the silver lining in it because there always has to be a silver lining, right? Is that while it has affected me deeply, I have learned so much from it. Being able to make adjustments, being there for patients when no one else really can. These sick patients can't have visits from children or parents. They are all alone. I've had to improvise and to see even just a shred of a smile across a patient's face is a major accomplishment in my book. Sandra, have you seen the impact of ventilator shortages? And if so, how has that changed the way you perform your daily duties as a social worker? So yeah, ventilator shortages to me is not new news. I've seen ventilator shortages in the past. This one is different though. What do you mean? So in the past, I've seen hospitals struggle to keep up with an influx of patients and the need to vent them. There's so many different disease processes required mechanical ventilation. It was apparent though in those times that most patients were placed on a ventilator for a short time. COVID is detrimental and requires longer use of a ventilator. That's what scares me. Sandra, if you're scared, are your patients scared? They are, but I do my scared face and cry after work. I hold it together until I'm alone. That's how I cope. I talk to my family and they help me with the leftover grief I experience. My kids are so strong and if they only knew, they were the glue that helps me together. So the effects of ventilator shortages. In the case that there just isn't enough for everyone, how do you feel about that? Have you seen it happen? I think it's wrong. I think it's unfair. If I could build a facility facility with endless amounts of rooms and ventilators, I would. I don't want people to die, not this way. You can't tell me that in America, the greatest country in the world, the richest as well, that we can't develop and produce an ungodly amount of ventilators to serve everyone in need. I don't think anyone should go out this way, but it's my job to comfort and help make their lives and their families' lives a little more manageable if they do die. It's not my decision to withdraw life support, it's the doctors. Yes, I have seen it happen. The doctors make the decision. They let the family know, but then they give a referral for social workers to see the patient and the family. That's it, they hand it off to us. Feels like a slap in our face. Meaning the social workers and we are the ones picking up the pieces. 
So by picking up the pieces, what do you mean? We are the ones actually picking the family members up piece by piece. Social workers offer so many services, services like grief counseling, financial assistance, referrals, child care assistance, assistance with after effects of death like funerals, cremation, and the list goes on and on. What are some of the other things social workers are doing to serve their local hospitals or communities during this pandemic? Social workers can also play a role in advocating for their local, state, and even federal to change policies. Policy changes can ensure that people's basic needs such as housing, health care, income, food are not being further reduced during this extremely hard time. Any last minute thoughts, Sandra? So yeah, I'd like to leave your audience with this. Social workers are needed to navigate the uncharted territory during a global pandemic. And we are here to assist individuals and communities to assist with grief, anxiety, trauma, and confusion. It is important to incorporate social workers at all levels in the healthcare system. Not only can social workers help as individuals try to rebuild social connections and adapt to life after the outbreak. They can also support political and health care systems better prepare for future public health crisis by ensuring that people have access to basic needs such as income, food, housing, and health care. This concludes our interviews for today's podcast. I'd like to thank both of my guests for being here today. Thank you both for your work during these stressful and hard times. In a world full of conflict and confusion, desperation and death, I'd like to stress that in a world without medical professionals making decisions for us or against us, we would be left to our own devices. I certainly can't see myself being able to intubate myself, inserting a breathing tube, bagging and sedating myself. I rely on doctors and nurses to do this. I trust medical professionals, and if they were to tell me that my 90-year-old grandfather was not doing well on a ventilator, but a 10-year-old would and needed it, I would be heartbroken, yes. And as harsh as it sounds, I couldn't agree more with allowing the 10-year-old a chance at survival. Thank you, guys. See you next week.